Recovery Sort Of is a podcast where we discuss recovery and addiction topics from the perspective of people living in long-term recovery. This podcast does not intend to represent the views of any particular group, organization, or fellowship. The views expressed here are solely the opinion of its contributors. Be advised there may be strong language or topics of an adult nature. Sort of. It's Jason. I'm a guy in long-term recovery. I think that's what Billy said we're going to say from now on. What's up, Billy? Hey, this is Billy. Um, I'm also a person in long-term recovery uh, involved in a 12-step program. Ah, so here we are. Uh, we're we're going to talk about step one today, which is super exciting for me because I have a shit ton of notes about it because, uh, I don't know, sometimes I just feel like I need a topic to stay on. Um, but before we, we get to that point, I did want to mention, and I forgot to mention it last week, that we are still on season one. Uh, I know nobody gives a fuck about that except me. But we're on season one, and it's like episode 12, I guess, now. Uh, and and that's where we're going to stay for now. I think we're going to do Billy's idea of 52 weeks of episodes, and then maybe we'll think about a season two. Or maybe we'll just have season one, episode 4 billion and 86 or something. Um, uh, I also um, wanted to throw something out there real quick. I've had recently, I've had a few friends and people that I know that listen to the podcast and they come up and they'll say, Hey, I listen to the podcast. And in that moment, I am so, I don't know what the word would be uncomfortable, <laughs> embarrassed slash humbled, like, you know, and it's just a weird thing when people tell me that I get real awkward, uh, socially awkward in that moment. But what I would really like to say if I was more comfortable is Thank you very much for listening. We really appreciate the support and, you know, we're glad that Messenger Recovery is getting out there. So to all our listeners, thank you very much. I really appreciate your support and encouragement. Yeah, and I would totally agree with that. I think I did have one person tell me that they, they listened to the podcast in person and I was definitely all fucked up about it, too. I didn't know how to react. Uh, so I can identify with that sentiment. Um Another thing that I, you bring up, uh, so uh, one of our, our friends, Brittany, uh, emailed us. I don't know if you saw that during the week, but she was talking about the Christmas episode. And apparently when I was going through my list uh, and she sent a picture of what it says her face when listening to me explain uh, my wife and I's organization of our <laughs> Christmas list. And it's it's only I mean, I can only describe it as uh, a what the fuck face, I guess, or uh, I don't know if somebody told you that they were, you know, your 25 year old coworker shared a very detailed story of sleeping with their 85 year old partner. This is probably the face <laughs> you would make about that. Uh, so that was pretty funny and entertaining. Also, we're, we're still kind of trying to get a podcast cover art idea together and we're at a lack. I'm, I'm ready to like, throw a picture of my baby up there just because babies are fucking awesome. And maybe that means we were reborn in recovery or something, but that's, I feel a little selfish cause it's my baby and not Billy's too. I guess if it was our baby, I would, it probably would already be the cover. But, uh, so if anybody has ideas for that, please feel free to share. Uh, or if you're an artist, definitely share that so that we can use you for our benefit. Yeah. So 
with all that said, I think it is time for us to start. Uh, step one, we're going to try to do a step a month this year so that we can, you know, have some focus on recovery a little bit. I, I know we kind of dance around recovery in life, uh, but I think step one is a good place to start with any recovery program. Um, that's kind of how the 12 step programs work at least. And so, you know, in, in our specific program, step one reads, uh, we are powerless over our addiction and our lives have become unmanageable or we admitted we are powerless over our addiction and our lives have become unmanageable. Um, but we were looking into some of the other programs and, and we found out quite a few different ones. And so just to read through some of them, um, we admitted we were powerless over alcohol. We admitted we were powerless over gambling. We admitted we were powerless over emotions. We admitted we were powerless over marijuana. The addict. Food. Work. Addictive sexual behavior. Our creativity. Cocaine and all other mind-altering substances. <laughs> Others. Debt. Depression. Uh, dual lines of chemical dependency and emotional or psychiatric illnesses. The effects of alcoholism or other family dysfunction. And, of course, that our lives have become unmanageable. So those were just a few. Uh, if you if you look into it, there is a fuck ton of 12-step <laughs> programs. It's incredible. Um, and, and awesomely incredible, really. I'm not knocking it in any way, shape, or form. Like, I particularly when I got clean in, in N.A., uh, I was always told, hey, one pro one disease, one program, this is all you need. Don't go anywhere else. We, you know, tackle addiction from all aspects. And in reading our literature in our specific program, I do think that kind of applies. It could be used for everything. But I will say that when I found at other points in time in recovery um, from, you know, the drug use where I needed some addiction help in other areas, I didn't feel like it was really the place to go to get it. Even though our program and our steps might address it to some extent, I felt like I really needed to go somewhere where I could hear other people say me too. And I didn't feel like our program was the place to share about some of the other, you know, areas of addiction that I might've struggled with because it didn't seem related to the people who were trying to get help in our program. Um, and I actually know from like the history of NA and where it spun off from AA was a very similar type of thing right. is that Jimmy K and some of the other founders of NA narcotics anonymous were involved in alcoholics anonymous, but the sharing, I, I believe the language that he uses is they used to refer to the addicts back then the alcoholics in the AA meetings would refer to the addicts as animals mm. and, you know, didn't want them sharing and definitely didn't want them sharing their drug stories or their drug seeking behaviors in their meetings. Um, and that, you know, that he, with the help of some members of Alcoholics Anonymous, you know, branched off from that and was able to form the Fellowship of Narcotics Anonymous where the addicts, you know, could find more uh, identification and feel more comfortable. So, you know, that's, sort of the initial branch of the 12 steps came from that same ideology. Right. Yeah. So I actually, uh, for whatever reason, uh, disliked the AA program early on. We always called it the other fellowship <laughs> and they were evil people for some reason. And I remember stumbling across uh, at the place my home group met. We had some AA literature from a different meeting that met on another night and they have a, 
some kind of pamphlet that talks about like what's allowed to be said in their meetings or, or something along those lines. I can't remember very specifically what it says, but I took great offense to it at first because it talked about how you, you should never talk about these things in a meeting, talking about drugs or anything, because that's not, you know, who they're there for and this, that, and the other. And I was like, these jerks, they're fucking like <laughs> telling us they won't help us. But when I read the pamphlet, it made total sense, right? The point of it being basically... If they were to just have anybody come in, if somebody came in and talked about, hey, I can't stop eating, you know, and, and I'm struggling with that, while their program might be able to assist that person, the guy who just walked in the door who just wants to stop drinking would probably miss the message, right? He would miss the identification piece of it and maybe never come back and get help. And so if they tried to help everyone in every aspect, they would lose their ability to help all the people who were drinking, which is their main goal. And so I kind of gained a respect for it from that. And I think that's where I realized that maybe all my problems, while the steps of my particular program could help me, I really needed to identify somewhere else, not, you know, share that kind of stuff in just any old meeting. And I think those are the same principles that protect us in uh, the fellowship we belong to and in Narcotics Anonymous, those same principles carry through into a lot of what we see today with harm reduction and uh, medicated assisted treatment options. Like those things are great. There's nothing against them. But we in our fellowship have a very specific approach to a specific problem. Right. <laughs> and if we start altering off of that, you know, we get a skew. Um, it's important that, you know, we maintain our integrity as an abstinence-based 12-step program that deals with drug addiction. Like, that's what we are. We clearly identify that as what we are. Right. Um, when we were going through this list of, of 12 steps, just some of the more interesting ones to get back to this uh, step one idea. Uh, the one about the our creativity was one I stumbled across. It's like Arts Anonymous, and it's like, artists using the 12 steps to deal with like writer's block and things like that while they're in recovery. It talked about um, how most of them are in other 12 step programs, but then they also go to this arts anonymous and deal with having creative block and acceptance of the fact that that just happens from time to time. I thought that was a really interesting yeah. concept and a really uh, narrow, you know, focus. One of the things me and Billy both stumbled upon, uh, I think, I think I knew this at one point and then forgot it. And then you brought it up and I had found it while I was searching too, was the, uh, oh, that people in Al-Anon are also powerless over alcohol. Like their first step is exactly the same as AA's first step. And I got it. It's one of those like poetic things. I just love about that, honestly. Yeah. And that gets into, so do we think the 12 steps are really just good for addiction or different types of addictions or compulsive behaviors? Or are they for other things as well. Um, I know I felt this way and you hear a lot of people say it when they come into recovery, like they, you come in and you start doing some step work and your life starts to get better. You start to live, live a little more spiritual and you think everybody should fucking have a 12 step fellowship. Yes. Everybody should have a 12 step program so that they're improving and growing spiritually and doing these things. Assholes anonymous. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I guess when we start talking about, you know, Al-Anon or Nar-Anon or maybe this Arts-Anon or whatever they call themselves, um, you know, these to me are people that aren't necessarily specifically talking about addictions or compulsive behaviors, um, but that have still found tools within the 12 steps to grow spiritually. 
Yeah, I ended up at one point going to some Al-Anon meetings, and honestly, uh, so kind of tricky. I, I never really spoke in them because I don't specifically have an alcoholic in my history or my story that I can relate to in that way um, that was close to me, but I I got so much out of those meetings, honestly. Um, I was sent there by somebody who said I would get something out of it, and I just... I found it incredible that really what they deal with is pretty much what I deal with in life now, which is other fucking people and having <laughs> yeah. acceptance that I can't control them. Right. right. Um, but is that an addiction? Like, is that, uh, that's yeah. where, you know, so that's where, know. yeah, that's know. where it gets interesting for me. So I don't I'm know. not sure if that's an addiction or not. It was really interesting though, that I felt like everything they talked about was really wise words for things I could use in my life. I was like, huh. Yeah, yeah, I need to accept that I can't control these fucking people around me that aren't doing what I want them to do. <laughs> and so I think it comes back to the, the premise that I believe wholeheartedly is that spiritual living or practicing spiritual principles in your life is for everyone. It can be for the atheist. It can be for the addict. Mm. It can be for the religious person. It You know, it can be for anyone. Just taking these principles and applying them in your life will make your life better, I believe. You know, I believe it's it will benefit you in the long run to practice these principles in your life. Oh, man, I just, I I fucking hate to talk about politics, honestly, and I'm like <laughs> trying to avoid it. I just saw this Facebook post this morning and it's a bunch of uh, our people, our spiritual practicing people all speaking about a certain demographic of people that they don't like. And I'm just like, how can you automatically box a group of people into right. a thing and say you don't like them if you're a spiritual fucker like ah whatever there anyway. levels to it there there <laughs> sure are so one of the the absolute probably most interesting one i found uh for the the first step was criminals and gang members anonymous which wow. i was like what in the fuck and their first step reads because it was really interesting to me we reviewed our past admitting a lack of strength and control over our addictions to all forms of illegal activity and that our lifestyle was not decent nor manageable. And I was like, wow. that's some interesting <laughs> shit. Yeah. Pretty deep for gang members. <laughs> right? I, I just, I mean, really the whole, we reviewed our past. I kind of like that part. Um, yeah, that's interesting. Well, and also I had mentioned, and we looked online, we couldn't find it, but we had met a gentleman who had a Christian was, doing a Christian recovery group. And he had mentioned they were very similar. They were going to use a 12 step model and that their first step was going to be, we admitted we were powerless over the things that separate us from God and our lives and become unmanageable. Which I completely love the idea. Uh, mostly it reminds me of the, you know, the principle of being Amish, which there's a, a lot of Amish people in our area. And if you don't know that idea, they don't participate in a lot of use of technology because they believe that will uh, get in the way of their relationship with their God. And I, as much as I don't seem to be able to live that kind of life, I, I admire the fuck out of it. Right. I, I do know that things I do keep me from a closer relationship with my higher power. And that's being on my phone, playing a video game, whatever it might be. These things do impede my spiritual growth. Hmm. Um, so what we're going to do today, I believe is completely the opposite of what most of these programs talk about, which is to keep it simple. We are not going to keep anything simple <laughs> at all. I think we're going to dissect and, and debate, you know, step one to death. Um, so if that is bad for you, then maybe don't take too much uh, seriousness out of this. Um, obviously, I think the simple version of step one is I can't, right? Like, is that 
Is that a yeah, simple as Yeah, and I'm going to say sort of the opposite. So I, I, I think the principles themselves are very simple. It's how we apply them in our lives that becomes complicated and difficult or noticing which where we can apply them in our lives becomes difficult. But yeah, it's, uh, I, you know, I think, yeah, the powerlessness, like that's the main, that's in all of those, you know, we admitted we were powerless and understanding powerlessness and what that is, is kind of one of the main guiding principles there in step one. Yeah. One of the things I, I couldn't get a, a, an agreement or consensus from all the stuff I was reading about this, uh, whether the main principle in step one was honesty powerlessness, surrender, or acceptance. And so I was really like trying to look at what the difference was and and maybe where one deviated from another or which one really needed to come first, or I don't know. It was interesting. I guess honesty, one of the things I read was talking about how, uh, you know, at some point in our addiction, we had to get to a point where like we stopped living in the denial, right? And so, and that's, I relate a lot to that statement is there's actually a, a piece of our literature. It says many of us recall the moment of clarity when we came face to face with our disease, all the lies, all the pretenses, all the rationalizations we had used to justify where we stood as a result of our drug use stopped working. And I, that's one of those things I just could never agree with more, right? Like I had that moment of clarity that we talk about where I was standing there, I was getting ready to do the same thing I'd always done. And it just hit me like a ton of bricks that like, I saw it for what it really was for the first time in my life, uh, without any of the excuses I had about why I needed to or any of those things. And so I feel like that was that first like self honest moment. And I don't take any credit for it. Like I didn't fucking do it, right? It came to me. It wasn't something I came up with. But it I feel like that honesty had to come before I could do anything else, uh, such as admit that I didn't have control over my drug use. Yeah. And for me, um, I guess, so understanding addiction, what that meant was important for me. I had been, uh, first knew I had a problem. I would say when I was like 17 was the first time I really started getting in trouble, like legal trouble and, and really looking at like, oh shit, you know, this drug thing is kind of a problem for me. Um, and I had just accepted that oh, I'm a drug addict and this is what I do, you know, right. and this, you know, the consequences of getting arrested and breaking the law and all the shit that came along with it was just part of that lifestyle. And I was okay with it. I was down. I was like, all right, this is what I'm, this is what I'm doing. Um, so I guess I knew that I had a drug problem early on. Um, I knew that I was a quote unquote addict early on. I think what I didn't understand was when we talk about powerlessness was that like, I always sort of told myself when I'm ready to stop, I'll stop, you know, mm-hmm. when I'm ready to be done having fun, what I thought was having fun, right. then I'll get my shit together and, and do the right things. And of course, it wasn't until years later when I actually had a few of those, oh, shit, I'm trying to stop now. And hmm. I can't moments like, yeah. that that, you know, just that idea of powerlessness <laughs> kind of hit and went, oh, shit, you know, I'm I'm stuck. You know, I don't know what to do about this. Anymore. Right. And for me, I had been introduced to 12 step programs early on. I'd been sent to drug counseling. <laughs> I had been introduced to, uh, you know 
medicated assisted treatment options. You know, I had new friends that had tried that method. So I had seen different ways of people dealing with the problem. Um, but yeah, it, it wasn't until I sort of really understood like, shit, I can't stop on my own. <laughs> right. That, that I really was able to reach out for help. Yeah. I've heard that referred to as a resignation. Like when we've just resigned to the fact that this is what our life is going to be. And I was there too. I remember thinking like, there's no hope for anything else for me. This is what I have. Uh, I'm just going to do this every day for the rest of my life and make the best of it. And, you know, one day I'll die and that'll be dead. Yeah. And as you talked about, I think for me, a big part of it too, was the same, uh, the denial of the consequences not the denial of the concept, the denial that drugs were the cause of my problems. Like right. for me, the longest time it was easy to blame, like it's the court system and it's my parents and it's the cops. And it's like every, if they would just leave me alone, then I could just get high and it would be fine. Yeah. And so I don't know, maybe if we had decriminalization or some of the things we talk about today, maybe I would still be out using, who knows, Right. <laughs> you right. know, who knows? Um, because those at, you know, those troubles, those consequences were the things that motivated me to seek treatment in the first place. You know, I don't know about that. Uh, I definitely think um, just to hit on the fact so the resignation, I think, turns into surrender when I accept that there might be a path out. Maybe mm -hmm. when I accept a little bit of hope for a difference. Um, I'm not sure. I've thought about that, too. Right. I, I say the consequences are what led me. It was because I had no money. It was because I had nowhere else to live. It was because this, that, and the other. But then I watch people who still had jobs or still had houses, still had a lot of money uh, who turn around and get clean. And I say, well, what the fuck? They didn't have the same kind of consequences. But I think ultimately it wasn't really the external consequences. Those helped me along. I think it's that spiritual consequence that we can't really put a finger on that sort of led me at least. I, I don't know for everybody, but I, I think that emptiness, that pain, loneliness, isolation, and emptiness, that spiritual bottom just led me to need something else. Yeah. And I always looked at a sort of a lot of the famous people, more specifically musicians right. that have struggled with addiction and ended up dead and overdosed or, you know, that you hear about. Um, I've always looked at a lot of them and kind of said, well, if I had more money, I would, you know, they're still finding themselves in the same, same holes as us not wealthy people. <laughs> right. Right. You know, they're still having the same emotional and, and spiritual struggles. No, absolutely. Um, so one of the things that I definitely, uh, I, I've heard about step one, and this is actually something I heard recently more so than ever before. And I'm not sure, I'm not sure how I feel about it, but I heard a guy say, uh, and I, and I love the guy. I respect him. He's always got like a really interesting, different take on things. I'm not, sure i always buy into it sometimes he does a similar thing to what i do right he likes to put wordplay and twists on words and and make them mean other things and i look i love that shit right when i come up with it but when he <laughs> came up with it i'm like eh, i don't know if i believe that one um but he shared that it says we were powerless in the past tense for a reason and it's because we used to be and then like once we've accepted step one and, and, you know, gotten into recovery, we are no longer powerless. And uh, I don't know. I don't know. I, I, have you ever heard that or thought much about that? I'm curious your take on that. I have not heard that. Um, I would tend to, I mean, my initial reaction is to disagree, mostly because 
what I understand addiction to be. So in the first step of our basic text, it talks about addiction being a physical, mental, and spiritual disease. And that through uh, application of principles, we can kind of, I guess, arrest it. Um, But that, you know, that that mental aspect of our disease for me is always there. I'm always going to have thoughts that are not good. Um, The sort of idea of first thought wrong. You know, my impulse when the lady hands me too much change at the grocery store is going to be to take that shit and run out the door Mm. and that I shouldn't beat myself up or think badly about myself because that's my first thought. You know, what I do with that thought is what, you know, what I'm responsible for. It's the action that goes along with the thought that I am responsible for. But I don't have to beat myself up because I have bad thoughts. Um, My initial thought to most things, most situations in life tends to be selfish, self-serving and self-centered. And what I've come to understand is that's when we talk about a first step and being an addict and my life being unmanageable. That's where that unmanageability comes from. It's reacting to those bad thoughts. Yeah, my first thought's usually fuck it. Right. Right. Well, he, I think he pointed out that like, uh, we say we were powerless and then we talk about in the serenity prayer, how we pray for the power to change the things we can or the strength to change the things we can, which is power. And, you know, I mean, he made a relevant point. I'm not disagreeing that. I don't know. It's all really confusing for me, especially with my particular belief in a higher power. I get lost in a lot of like, what can I take credit for? What do I actually have power over? What am I just praying that some power helps me with, right? Like, okay, I can tell you, sure, we were powerless and now I have power. Great. I believe that. Well, but then in step six, I'm telling you, I got character defects that I can't personally get rid of because I don't have any power. Like, so where is this power that I supposedly have and, and what can I take credit for? I shared with you a couple minutes ago, like I did not give myself that moment of clarity, right? So where did that come from? And and how much credit for that can I take credit for? Like, oh yeah, I got honest and that's how I got clean. Well, I didn't really fucking get honest. It kind of came over me, right? So I, right. I don't know, man. I, I just thought it was an interesting thing that he, he did some wordplay with it. Yeah, and I would say if you were looking at that, if you're looking at your addiction as specifically whatever substance or issue that you're struggling with, that you have a obsessive compulsive behavior about, mm. like we gain power over that. Like now I have power over my choices to use illegal substances. I do believe that, you know, now, right. you know, through the application of the program, the application of steps, like I am no longer uh, trapped in the cycle of using that I was before I came here. So you have power over taking that first one, right? That whole one is too many, a thousand, never enough concept. You have power over not taking that. But I I almost wondered, do I really, right? So we call obsession, like the, the never ending stream of thoughts about something. And then the compulsion is that once we've started, we can't stop. And we say that, you know, we have that power over taking the first one. But I definitely felt uh, through most of my using time that if I didn't, when that obsession was going on, that thoughts, that never ending stream of thoughts that said, you better, oh, you better, you're going to die. If you don't, you're going to go crazy, right? They're going to lock you up because you're going to lose your mind if you don't. I don't know that I could not. I don't know that I could choose not to right then. So that's where I believe that the program comes in or any kind of 
support program where you have people that are going to help you. And maybe this is some cognitive behavioral therapy stuff. Probably. When you have people <laughs> that are going to help you, encourage you, like, look, when you have these thoughts, here's what you need to do. Right. Call somebody, go to a meeting, don't pick up, pray, you know, whatever. They give us these tools because those thoughts are going to come. And if I sit there and obsess on them and keep thinking about it, thinking about it, thinking about it, yeah. eventually I will become powerless. I will give in. Um, the idea that I, the way it was explained to me that I always liked is, you know, I can go out and hang out. Say I like to listen to live music and I like to listen to live music at the bar. Well, I can go out to the bar, you know, nine times out of 10, I'll be fine. But one of those times out of that 10, I'm going to want to drink. Right. And I don't get to pick which one it is. It might be the third time I'm there. It might be the fifth time I'm there. It might be the 10th time I'm there. You know, but if I'm not, if I keep putting myself in that situation, eventually those thoughts are going to come. And then, you know, I'm, I'm, if I'm not giving myself tools to get out of those situations, I'm doomed. Yeah. Yeah. I remember when early on, I kept trying to think of a better variation that was more fun than, you know, if you go to the barbershop long enough, you're going to get a haircut. I, I really tried to make it much dirtier about going to, uh, I don't know. I, well, I think to... we get hung up on the longer, like, it's not like I can go hang out at the bar, you know, five times and I'll be doomed on the fifth. Right. I might be doomed on the second. You know what I mean? Like, right. I don't know what day my spirit's not going to be in a good place or my defenses are going to be down or I'm going to feel exceptionally yeah. self-pitiful or exceptionally vulnerable. You know, I don't know which day that's going to happen. That's what I'm powerless over. And that is exactly my experience with, with going to a bar uh, and not drinking was that eventually did happen to me. Uh, thankfully, I was in a, I did not, you know, get drunk that day, but it was definitely one of those things where... I felt fine five or six times, and then all of a sudden, I didn't. Um, I remember a guy sharing real quick before we break for our ad that one of the worst things that could possibly happen is to go to a bar and not drink hmm. because it's just such a reinforcement that you have some kind of control that you really don't truly have, <laughs> right? Um, so I thought that was interesting. I'll leave everybody to think about that. We'll break for our ad, and we'll be right back. This episode has been brought to you by Voices of Hope, Inc., a nonprofit grassroots recovery community organization located in Maryland. Voices of Hope is made up of people in recovery, family members, and allies. Together, members strive to protect the dignity and respect of those that use drugs and those in recovery by advocating for treatment, support resources, and mentoring. Please visit us at www.voicesofhopececilmd.org and consider donating to our cause. Yeah, and so another part of just to tie in with that going to a bar kind of thing, and it isn't necessarily just bars, but concerts or venues or going out to things like where people are drinking or using, like my wife and I have always talked about always preparing ahead of time to give ourselves an out. Mm -hmm. And what I mean by that is we've went to concerts that have happened in bars or we've went and seen live music together. Um, we've always went, you know, sort of on the buddy system idea. Like, no, I'm not going to go by myself or with a bunch of people that are using. Um, but also that in understanding my powerlessness, I also need to prepare going into those situations and to say, all right, you know, if either one of us decides we want to start using, we got to go. 
And the other one's got to be okay with that. Like not, oh, I want to hear this fucking song or I'm not ready to go yet. Like, no. Right. Like this is imperative for both of us. And both of us have been the ones to say, hey, I got to get out of here. You know, it happened with her, you know, one time we went to a Grateful Dead concert and, you know, typical, like we spent a bunch of money for tickets and we went in and we were there about 20 minutes and the whole place smelled like weed and fucking, you know, everybody getting high and I'm sure eating mushrooms. And she was like, we got to go. I was like, okay, we're out of here. Right. And uh, it happened to me one time. We're seeing a band in a bar down in Baltimore. And I, you know, I can't even remember why or what happened. But the moment was like, hey, man, this seems like it would be a lot of fun to just start fucking drinking and carrying on. Mm. And, you know, going to her and saying, hey, we got to go. And she said, okay. And we left. And just, you know, that's a part of understanding powerlessness. It's not that I never put myself in those situations or that I never go around people that are drinking because I'm going to be out of control. It's that, you know, almost like the serenity prayer says, like, what things do I have power and control over and what things do I not? You know, I have power and control over leaving myself in that situation. I don't have power and control over those thoughts popping up in my head. Um, so having a strong foundation of a first step, like I know when I'm going into situations that I need to, you know, put my armor on or to, to be ready for kind of uh, my escape route when I if I become overwhelmed. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's one of the things that uh, makes the holidays that we just went through so difficult is that many people don't feel the ability to take a buddy to their family gathering, you know, where there's often a lot of maybe drinking or drug use, or just even if there's none of that, there's just that, you know, familial childhood button pushing that led us to those kind of behaviors in the first place. And they don't seem like places you can't say, Hey, I'll, I'll grab you a ticket. Come with me. Right. Cause your buddy might be going to their own family gathering, or it might just be awkward to bring, you know, a buddy to a family gathering when you're, 40 or, or whatever it is. Um, and so I think that might be one of the reasons why those are such struggle areas. You can't really prepare for them quite as well as you'd like. Um, it is still a really good idea to have some kind of out or, or some ability. I know they talk about bookending a lot of times, which is calling somebody before and after and checking in. Um, so one of the things uh, that definitely comes up for the first step for me when I first got here into the recovery idea Um, it mentioned that, you know, unmanageability might be the only thing that we can recognize about our lives in some form of wording. And I, and that's definitely what I could identify with when I got to the program and wanted to do something different was that there was no more obvious statement than my life was unmanageable, right? Like nothing could have been more close to the truth. I just, nothing worked. Everything I did turned to shit. Like, it didn't matter what decision I made. I was always in trouble with the law. I was always on the outskirts of of people that I really was trying to, you know, I wasn't really trying to do a whole lot to get their love, but I wanted to love them. I wanted to be a good dude. And like, I just could never make, I had all these great golden intentions in my hand and, and I was paving the road to hell with them, right? Like nothing ever worked out the way I hoped it would. And so it talks about our, our families are, um, you know, just disappointed, baffled, and confused by our actions, right? And I remember my father specifically, just why, why do you keep doing these things? And and the thing that really struck me was that I was disappointed, baffled, and confused <laughs> yeah. by my actions. I, he would ask, and I'm like, 
I don't know, right? Like, what the fuck is wrong with me? And that's what I felt for so long. What the fuck is wrong with me? Yeah. Why do I keep living like this? And so uh, admitting the unmanageability in the first step for me was such a relief. It was like, thank God. it's it, Maybe there's not something that wrong with me. Maybe I'm like these other people and they can help. Yeah. And I was convinced I had a antisocial disorder or that I was a sociopath or something like that, that I just didn't care about other people or their feelings or mm. the way that it affected me. And of course, you know, it, it was almost the opposite. Like I was so sensitive to how I was living and the harm I was causing that I needed to stay high all the time to numb the fucking guilt, shame, embarrassment, remorse, and all those things that I felt, Right. you know, that when I wasn't high, I, as soon as I started to feel that shit, I didn't want to, you know, I couldn't face it. Um, mm. And so by staying high all the time, I just numb myself to any of that stuff for years on end and then just thought, well, maybe there's there is something fucking mentally wrong with my brain <laughs> like right. that I can't connect to other human beings in that way with any kind of empathy. Um, but, yeah, I came to the program similar like it was the, the unmanageability was the most obvious thing going on in my life. I didn't think drugs were the problem. I thought I had a mental disorder, mental illness and that something was wrong with me um and then there was similar that moment of clarity you know where i was like could drugs really be the problem like maybe i'll go back and check out this 12-step thing and go to these meetings and see what they have to offer right um yeah when i came in i think luckily enough at this the point that i stayed in recovery this time i was pretty uh humiliated at that point defeated <laughs> so that surrender wasn't so hard, you know, that to admit powerlessness wasn't so hard. Um, when we talk about, you know, surrendering in that first step, I think for me, a big part of it was just saying, I don't have all the answers and I need some fucking help, you know? And up until that point in my life, I was the opposite. You know, I was like, I don't need anybody's fucking help. You know what I mean? I got this. I'll figure it out. I'll take care of my life. And I'm good. Right. Um, and that, you know, admission that, fuck, I don't got this. <laughs> like, right. And that I need help and that that I need somebody else. I mean, I, you know, I don't know. For me, that happened before I walked in the door of Narcotics Anonymous. Uh, so that first step wasn't a huge struggle um, this time around. Um, but I did what most people, you know, suggested to do i shouldn't say what most people do but what is suggested to do is i came in i got a sponsor i got somebody to help me and i sat down and we started talking about some of these principles and what does it really mean to be powerless you know and and looking up the definitions of these words surrender and powerlessness and unmanageability and looking them up in the dictionary and understanding what they mean and you know looking trying to separate myself from the idea that powerlessness equals weakness you know, right. that was a big concept in my head. Um, powerlessness is weakness. And, you know, I don't know, maybe that's true. I I, I mean, I guess when you're beaten enough, it doesn't really matter. It's like when I was beat down enough, it didn't fucking matter anymore. I was willing to let go. Like, yeah, I'm weak, you know. Right. And uh, to steal like a cliche from my wife, she some things she said and the visualization always helped me a lot. Of course, I don't know nowadays if people still know who Mike Tyson is or knew Mike Tyson <laughs> back in the day. 
when he was, you know, just such a uh, crazy, strong boxer. People were so scared of him to get in the ring with him. And that was like addiction. Like I would get back in the ring with addiction and it would beat the shit out of me, you know, just like getting in the ring with Mike Tyson. I could get in the ring with Mike Tyson, you know, and maybe last a round, maybe last two rounds, but inevitably, you know, I'm going to get my fucking head knocked on. Right. And then I pick myself up and get back in there and, you know, try it again and try it again and try it again. But it really doesn't matter how many times I get in there with Mike Tyson. I'm never going to win that fight. <laughs> you know what I mean? I'm ne- I might land a punch or two, but I am <laughs> never going to win that fucking fight. You know what I mean? It's just never going to happen. And until I can admit that with addiction, like it's the same thing as just repeatedly getting in the ring with Mike Tyson and thinking you got a fucking chance of winning. And, and I was, yeah, and I was out there using, thinking, well, one of these times Mike's going to slip on a banana peel, right? Even right. though there was no bananas in the fucking stadium, <laughs> right. it was just going to happen. I was going to win somehow, right? No, I agree. I agree. Uh, I could definitely understand that. And I, I, I understand and, and relate when you talk about like having all the answers for most of my life. That's how I felt. Like I had, I had come around and, and had some exposure to 12 step program, but I didn't really believe in it or think it would work for me for a long time because I still had the answers. And I still thought that for a long time, drugs were still the solution, right? The thing I was using was still the solution long before I realized it was actually part of the problem. Um, it was my answer to my problems mm-hmm. first. And so it took me a long time to come to that that understanding and that surrender of maybe this isn't helping anymore, right? Maybe it did for a while, but it's definitely not now, right? right? Um, and so I, I struggled with that a lot early on was just, well, I, I struggled with it before I got here. Like once I got here, it was just, that was what became clear and evident was that I don't have the answers. This isn't working. My way is definitely not working. And so I now have an open mind for you to like, give me some new ideas that I can possibly take in. And not all of them made sense early on, but it didn't matter. Like you said, by the time I had gotten to that surrender and acceptance point, I was just ready to to try anything. I didn't care what you said. I didn't care if it made me weak. I didn't care about anything. I just wanted something different. Um, and I felt like the steps offered that, you know, they offered the, the chance for something different. And what it talked about when I was reading about this was before step one, what we found was we were living hopeless. Right. And I think that's what the program offered when I first got here was just that little glimmer of hope. Right. Just maybe, just maybe something can be different for me, even though I thought I was stuck here. Um, I'll say for me, for me today, it is a little different. I don't look at it in the same light. Um, I still look at the honesty of step one. I think that that self-honesty grows as I'm, I don't want to say able to be more honest, but just capable of being more honest with myself. Like, I don't think I can always see everything about me in any given moment. And as time has gone on, you know, we talk about peeling the layers of the onion. I don't know why we refer to ourselves as onions. There's got to be something better with layers, but um, it's a great visual. I mean, everybody can picture cutting an onion and peeling it. I've layers. never cut an onion. I don't even like onions. <laughs> what was, what's the donkey and Trek say? Uh, parfaits, parfaits have layers too. And everybody, yeah, fucking parfaits. <laughs> right. Um, but yeah, I, I don't know, like even today that I can be completely self-honest because I think there's still things that I'm not aware of about me. Uh, I like to think I'm pretty aware of a lot of it, but there's still something there, right? There's still ways that this 
disease or whatever you want to call it affects me that I just don't know about that I can't be honest about to accept yet. And I still live in, I think. Yeah. And I think, you know, the application of the first step when I first came in recovery and had 30 days clean, I believe I worked my first first step in 30 days clean, you know, my understanding and application of some of those principles was, I'm going to say way more like rudimentary and basic at that point um, compared to how it is now years later with more steps. You know, it's the idea that the steps build on each other and you kind of hinted at it earlier. It's like we can admit our powerless over addiction in our first step. Like, oh, that's kind of obvious. Like, I want to stop using. I can't fucking stop using. I can't stop using long enough to stay out of jail or keep my marriage or keep my kids. All that stuff's very obvious. But you're not really thinking about how powerless you are in all these other aspects of your life either, either until you get to step six. And then you realize, fuck, I'm powerless over all this other stuff. <laughs> right, right. But we don't want to dump all that on you all at once. We'll just stick, keep it to the addiction in step one. Right. <laughs> worry about the deeper shit later. Just come in here. Stop using. <laughs> you know, come to some meetings. Let some people help you. And we'll build on that. Yeah. Um, so, you know, it's that idea of like we're building that foundation of understanding these principles. And when we can take them from the basic, you know, then we start trying to apply them like deeper and deeper and deeper in our lives. Um, and the other side of that is the person that I am now, you know, having been in recovery, and I'm almost 20 years older than I was when I got in recovery. Just through sheer life experience, I'm a completely different person, Right. you know take out what I've grown in 12 step recovery or other spiritual work 20 years. I'm a completely different person than I was when I got here. So the way that I approach life or deal with life and the way that my thinking affects my life is completely different. I have a whole different skill set and knowledge set that I have now. <laughs> right, right. So, which to me comes back to what I have come to understand of the disease of addiction. And again, they describe it in our first step. If you really dive deep into it although i think most first steps we sort of gloss over it it's like the physical mental and spiritual aspects of the disease you know i have an obsessive compulsive disorder and it can affect me in every area of my life i can get obsessive and compulsive over some fucking construction project or some remodeling project i have gone on in my house to the point where i become neglectful of my kids and my other responsibilities and my what are my important family values can get thrown right to the side because I'm obsessing over some fucking electrical issue that I'm trying to deal with at my house. Right. You know, but I'll shuck all my morals and values right out the window and start yelling and cussing at my kids for wanting lunch. You right. Know? Right. Like that's where, you know, that obsessive compulsive part of my brain kicks in. Yeah. And I think the lesson uh, for me to, to get there to learn that a lot of times is beating my head against the wall, trying to do it my way first. Right. And that happened when I was actively using. I had to try using all these different ways that I knew was going to work. Well, I'll only use these certain drugs. I'll only use on these certain days. And then as all these different methods of how I was going to control it didn't work. I finally came to that point of being beaten and saying, hey, well, maybe none of these ways I try are going to work. And I think it's been the same, you know, off of the, the drugs and with other areas of my life. Well, I'll just, 
I'll only date six women this week, right? Or <laughs> I'll, I'll, you know, I'll have one main woman and only one side woman. Or it's like everything I try to do, I try to control it. Well, I'll, I'll give myself two hours to play this video game or, or work on this around my house. And then I'm in hour five yelling about making lunch, right? So it's all these attempts at me controlling things first only to really, I think that's part of the process of coming to the step one admission is like, I tried so hard to make this work and I just don't have the power to do that. Right. And that's where, you know, understanding the unmanageability comes in, you know, the Mm. unmanageability is me trying to figure everything out on my own, trying to come up with all my own solutions and thinking that I got it all figured out. (laughs) It's like, it's like that, the, the understanding when I talk about what my addiction is, it's the understanding that, you know, my best thinking can be my worst enemy. You know, my best ideas can get me into trouble a lot of times. Um, but when I say them to myself inside my own head, they sound great. They sound rational. They sound helpful. They sound good. Um, and if I don't uh, scrutinize them, you know, or, or, run them by people sometimes or, or kind of say them out loud, you know, I get myself into trouble by just running with my first thought. Right. No, absolutely. Uh, It's funny you said that one of the things that I always loved, and I know it's controversial to some extent, people have some arguments about, you know, it's, it's right up there probably with the whole, uh, my worst day cleans better than my best day using, but the old saying that like my best thinking got me into a church basement on a weeknight, looking for the advice of a bunch of drunks and drug addicts, right? Like, I love that statement. I, I Nothing could have shown me humility early on better than that statement of like, yeah, my life is so great. I've run it and managed it so well that this is where I'm at. I'm looking to, you know, people who, who are sometimes considered, you know, the lowest of the earth, and I'm here seeking their help and advice, like on how to live. I needed that kind of perspective. I, I needed somebody to point that out that man maybe i need to like take a back seat and not try to manage this yeah and i mean there's a flip side to that too that we forget sometimes is it just because some of my thinking's bad doesn't mean all my thinking's bad i mean it's the same this that's my same brain that led me to use every day is also for me personally the brain that led me to go back to a narcotics anonymous meeting on a Wednesday night and get clean. Right. You know, I, I wasn't at this time that I stayed in recovery this time. I wasn't court ordered. No one fucking was holding a gun to my head. Like I had made that decision all by myself. And it was that same brain that made that same decision. Like say that moment of clarity or spiritual awakening or whatever you want to call it. Um, so learning that like, not all my thoughts are wrong. I'm not completely, you know, useless, but that I need some guidance and direction and that sometimes I can come up with some good ideas and sometimes I have some not so good ideas and just being sort of honest and uh, having humility, I think. And I didn't understand that when I worked the first step the first time around, but it was humility that was the core of what I needed. You know, right. <laughs> it was some some humility to be like, hey, man, it's OK to need help in life. It's okay to to not be great at everything, to not have everything figured out all the time. Like that's that's okay. Yeah. What did they say early on for me? It was uh, humility is not thinking less of myself. It's thinking of myself less. Right. right. And and that's kind of ties in a little bit to what you were just saying. It's not so much that I needed to believe that everything I thought was bad. 
but why not run all my thoughts by somebody just so we, they can help me pick out, you know, the good ones from the bad ones? Because I just tend to believe that everything I think is a great idea, right? And it's it's not, honestly. When I look back at a lot of the decisions I've made when I didn't run things by people, I make some pretty shitty decisions sometimes. But they all come in my voice and they all come from this brain that I completely have all this trust in. And I just run with them as soon as they come. I'm like, man, let's go to Vegas and get hookers, right? It's a great idea. Uh, and, And like if I can run these ideas by somebody, they can help me sort out, hey, maybe you're not thinking that one through long enough to think about what happens after you do that, right? Or, hey, that idea, that's one you should follow. That's a great idea. That's cool that you thought of that. Yeah, and so many times... Like what gets me into trouble is, you know, back to the spiritual aspect of the disease. Um, What I've been taught is the disease of addiction. The the spiritual aspect of that is my total self-centeredness. Most of the time I'm thinking about what serves me best, what gets me what I want. How do I achieve whatever I think is important? Um, And that's not always for the good of the whole, you know, it's not always in the best interest of my family that I get what I want. It's not always in the best interest of my job that I get what I want, you know, sometimes Absolutely. there's, there's some things that are more important than myself, you know. And, and this can be where I'm at a lot of points in time in my life today, uh, with five kids, like, uh, a lot of my life generally really isn't time framed out to be about me. And I want it to be, uh, this weekend, I'm like, man, football playoffs. I fucking deserve to sit around and watch all these games from start to finish with no interruptions. And that is not my life. My kids have basketball games and my kids have indoor soccer games. And that's like, we've been running around to these kind of things uh, yesterday. And we have one later today. And it's just like, do I want to be bitter about that? Like, do I want to be frustrated that they play games? Part of me does. Yeah. It's fucking interrupting what I want. And that's that total self-centeredness that I can live in when I'm not looking at it right i get annoyed that they have all these sports and it's probably too much sports for them and this that and the other and i just don't know maybe i don't need to watch the entire fucking football game i I don't know what the i don't know that there is a right for this right but i I do know that what i want is really all about me and has nothing to do with what's good for anybody else in my family at all yeah and so many times you know it's it's hard for me to judge what i really want because what I really want most of the time is whatever's easier, softer, more convenient, more self-gratifying. You feels know? Good, right? <laughs> like, what feels good? Like, yeah, what feels good? What was that know? old Simpsons thing with the, the police officer in the Simpsons and he was wearing his underwear around at work or something? He was like, <laughs> if it feels good, do it. I'm like, yeah, perfect. <laughs> yeah, and it's, you know, and, and the idea that if, if one's good, more's better, you know, that yes. same, same principle that you know, those things get me into trouble and I can recognize that now. So, you know, where that first step comes in is like, I recognize some of my, um, impulsive decision-making. I recognize some of my self-centered thinking and, you know, through the process of the remainder of the steps and some supports through the rest of the 12 step, you know, group, I get tools on how to deal with that. And the powerlessness comes in where that's probably never going to change for me. My, you know, my self-centeredness is probably going to be there forever. What gets better is the way that I react to it. So let's say I am at home and I'm working on that electrical issue and I'm struggling with it and my kid starts wanting lunch. Well, yeah, my initial reaction might be, 
Leave me the fuck alone. Can't you see I'm working on this? This is really important. I need to get this electric fixed. That might be my thought, you know, but I don't have to act on that thought. And and it's through the process of recovery that I've learned. All right, wait a minute. Take a breath. Is that really the way you want to deal with this? Mm. You know, you might get your electric project done and that'll be great. But look at the consequences of that you right. know, and, and to think about that. And, you know, if I can... 10 seconds delay my reaction to that first thought, you know, if I can wait 10 seconds, just be like, all right, wait a minute, wait a minute, you know, and then react differently to say, Hey, hold on just a couple minutes. Can you wait 15, 20 minutes when I'm done? I can come down and get you some lunch versus screaming and yelling and cussing. I get your own food. You're old enough now to do for yourself. Why you got to bother me with this stuff all the time? Right. Which of those is the person that I really want to be, you know, which of those is the person that, when I lay down later at night to go to bed and I'm running through my day, which is part of the step process that I try to do for myself each day, you know, which of those actions is going to make me feel better about that guy that's going to sleep that night? You know? Yeah. No, I, I wish you say a 10 second delay and I was just sitting here picturing, man, I wish we could just have a setting for that. Right. Like my, <laughs> right. I would be a much fucking good, better, gooder dude. Wow. So to tie into the rest of the steps, though, that's where meditation comes in. When you start meditating on a regular basis, you'll get those, those moments of like, I don't just have to react to the way that I'm thinking every time. You know, that's why those steps are written in order. They build on each other all the way to the end. But see, (laughs) so if seven second delays ruin things like seeing Janet Jackson's boob, right? <laughs> this is this is why I hate seven second delays, but they would make me a better person. Ah, you might have missed it live, but you could go get them. Yeah. You know. I don't know if the internet was that big back then, was it? Yeah. It's was there. it that long ago? You can Jesus go still Christ. see, you can go pull up Janet Jackson's boob on the internet if you really care. <laughs> uh, probably not enough to do it anymore. But again, is that moment of whatever, is that really that important in the grand scheme of things? It's not. And this is where my right. brain struggles. This is where my first step is in my life most days, right? It's like, this right. is like the, the instant gratification, the feel good. If it feels good, do it. Uh, you know, Chief Quimby, wear my underwear around, right. look at boobs. Like, this is where I struggle with this is not the important thing in life, right? This is not what matters the most. This is not where I need to be. It's most of the things that do ultimately matter to me are the shit I don't want to do, right? It's taking the time to like sit there with my five-year-old as he talks my ear off about some video game that I don't even fucking understand or want to hear about. It's, you know, changing the diaper of the baby or, or just holding her because she doesn't feel well. Like those kind of things are the things that really ultimately make me feel fuller inside. They're just not the shit that I ever want to fucking sign up for. And that's the struggle. I think in my first step is knowing that I just need to like do the things I don't want to do and accept my acceptance today is a lot of trying to accept that I don't feel like it. And that's just who I am but that's okay. And I can still do it. Right. And that's where I struggle a lot. Yeah. And I think with the first step, like, I believe it's a, like the oxymoron or whatever, where it's like my powerless admitting my powerlessness becomes my strength, right. you know, understanding where my weaknesses are or what my impulses and intentions are. I can use to my advantage you know, when I could admit like this is an area that I struggle, this is an area where I have problems, you know, I can use that to, to put myself in better position to deal with those situations when they arise. And just like using, 
You know, I don't put myself in situations around people that are using, or if I do, I give myself an out, you know, and I have a plan going into those situations. Well, as I recognize more and more how my addiction affects other areas of my life, I give myself those same plans, you know, nowadays, again, for me personally, when I'm working on home projects, like I know that that's an area that's caused me a lot of issues in the past. So I'm aware of that going in. I try to set myself up before I get into these projects. All right, take a deep breath. Know what you're getting into. Know what your tendencies are. All right, now we can go into this with a little uh, wider view when the kids start asking for stuff or my wife needs me to go to the store or somebody wants something. You know, I, I know what my tendency is and I can react differently now. And so what I'm what I'm hearing a lot of what you say is that your first step puts you in a position to kind of own what you can't do in order to be in a better position to prepare yourself for for having better outcomes. Right. And, and one of the things that I've tried to look at for my first step, uh, I don't want to say I hate saying later on in recovery or talking about clean time or any of that stuff. But really, for me. I try to look at my first step when it says unmanageable. And here's where my wordplay comes in. I like to look at it as if somebody at like, you know, Apple said, hey, we're hiring you. Come manage Apple, right? You come manage all the iPhones and everything else that has to do with Apple for the next 10 years. I am incapable of managing that, right? I will fuck it up. I will have like iPhones will be uh, circles for some reason. They won't work right. Like they won't operate. Nobody will be able to talk to each other. FaceTime will go out the window. I will just... I don't know how to manage a Fortune 500 company or any successful business. I've never done it. It's not something I'm capable of. And I try to remind myself of that for my life, that like of my own accord, I would not be able to manage my own life. Now, if you put me in charge of Apple and you gave me, you know, a board of directors or a group conscience to help guide me that had a lot of useful information and I relied on them, I might be able to get by, right? I might be a successful guy. I might not run it into the ground at least. And it's the same with my life. And that's what I, I really try to look at the first step for me nowadays is just that if I stop relying on my sponsor, stop relying on my network, I stop running ideas past people, I will ultimately manage my life into the ground the way I have every time previously, right? My own thoughts and ideas will all sound great to me again. I will run on self-will and, and self-centeredness, and, and I won't be able to function properly in my life in the way I want to. And so when I look at my life as being unmanageable today, it's not specifically that there's any outward unmanageability that I'm you know, running on. I'm not getting locked up on a regular basis. I'm not doing any of these other things that are outwardly noticeable by people. I'm not passing out on the, the corner, right? Uh, the inward unmanageability, there's always going to be a little bit of that for me, I believe. Just, uh, I don't know, my brain doesn't operate right. It makes me feel weird a lot of times. But a lot of what I look at as unmanageable today is just a reminder of like, hey, if you try to do this on your own, you suck at being a manager of your own life. You need to continue to rely on people that are close to you that have your best interest at heart to help you manage your life to be successful. Yeah, and I think that's where self-honesty is crucial to deciding what you think is unmanageable or what areas of your life are unmanageable. Right. Um, 
by that I mean, for me, even when I got into recovery this time, I still had a job. I still made decent money. I still had a car that was mine that I paid for. I had a place to live that I paid for. Like I wasn't homeless, jobless, out robbing people on the streets. That wasn't where the unmanageability in my life was. I had some legal trouble, which was mostly attributed to using, getting caught with possession, getting a DUI. Then once I got in the system, I could never get through probation. I would fail drug tests. I couldn't make it through alcohol. So it was like, for me, it felt like the system was the trap. And a lot of the legal unmanageability had to do with once they kind of had their fucking fingers into my life, I couldn't live the way they wanted me to live. Mm -hmm. Um, And so for a long time, I blamed that for my problems instead of looking at, well, look, dummy, if you want to stay out of jail, you just do what they tell you to do for however (laughs) long it was, 15 months or, well, I did have like five years probation at one point, which is a kind of long time, but you know, it didn't matter. I wasn't ever completing a probation. I violated every single one of them. And it was like, if you really valued your freedom that much, you know, why would you make decisions to jeopardize your own freedom? Um, it was more, so the unmanageability was more in those type of areas. Um, so even now I don't go out and look to people in Narcotics Anonymous for a lot of career advice or for advice on what I need to do for my job or whatever. And I might, there's a few people in recovery that I would talk to about those things. Um, but in general, I wouldn't say, the 12 step program taught me how to be a good employee because me person just is just me personally. I right. was always a good employee. I always showed up for work. I might've got high in the bathroom and shit. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> I wasn't at my best, but like I showed up, I was accountable. I was dependable. I had a lot of financial responsibilities with money. You know what I mean? So those weren't areas that were obviously unmanageable for me, whereas they might be areas that are more unmanageable for other people. There is for me personally that were the most unmanageable were emotional. I had no emotional connections in my life. I felt um, alone and isolated and sort of lost in the world. Like I didn't know what my place was or what mm. the fucking point of even being alive was. It just seemed like a big giant struggle. Right. You know, like, you know, so that's where the thoughts of like maybe killing myself is a good idea because this is a fucking this is hard. This shit isn't easy. Life isn't easy. It's difficult. I can't figure this out. I don't know what I'm supposed to be doing. You know, so I had a lot of more like mental unmanageability and what I would call spiritual and emotional unmanageability. Um, and it wasn't until I accepted that that's where the unmanageability was that. I could allow Narcotics Anonymous to help me because before I had always looked at all the other things. Well, I'm not, you know, shooting up with fucking puddle water in some alleyway. So I'm not an addict like that. My life's not that unmanageable, you know, and I could justify away some of the behaviors. Right. Yeah. I think uh, for me, I don't know. I, I definitely was not a good employee before I came <laughs> to Narcotics Anonymous. So I can't relate to that. I, and I don't know specifically that it's so much about like that I need to seek everyone or, or other people's opinions about everything. I just, it's a good idea for me to remember to run stuff by people, right? And if that means I run uh, all my ideas by a few people, which I don't, I, I would, <laughs> I could do better for sure. But if I did, right? And 
look, even the th- ideas that ultimately might be good for my life, not everybody's going to agree on, right? Some people might think they're bad ideas. Um, yeah, let me tell you, just making a decision to sell all your belongings and buy an <laughs> RV and travel around the country, a lot of people won't tell you that's a good idea. Right. They'll act excited and interested about it, and they'll want to talk about it, but they won't. You won't get a lot of, wow, that's really great idea. <laughs> right. That's that's sound thinking there, Billy. That's great yeah. financial planning. Right. You'll get a lot of concern. Uh, for uh, And here's an example. A guy that I care about, um, he dated a girl that just did not seem like the right person for him years ago. Right. And, and uh, I remember calling him one night on the way to a meeting, just randomly checking on him. Hey, how you been? What's going on? And he was like, hey, uh, I just moved her and her two kids in. Now, this is a guy who whose only kid is adult and grown up and moved out. And he's lived by himself and always loved the idea that he could live by himself and, you know, sit in his underwear and eat ice cream when he got home from work. And this just seemed like such a crazy life change, right? And I wanted to be supportive. I didn't want to be like, that's fucking dumb, dude. Like, that's never going to work. Uh, and so I didn't say that. But I... I I did have my apprehension. I was really just shocked. I was like, what the fuck? This seems like the last thing I would expect you. I'd, I'd have been less surprised if you told me you got high, honestly. Like, <laughs> and he had like 15 years clean at this point. And I was just like, I was shocked by it. Um, and so, look, they ended up getting married. And then they ended up getting divorced. And it was what it was. And it, it, it just turned out to be not that great of a thing. Well, I talked to this guy two weeks ago and he's, he's talking to the same lady again, right? Like she used, they got divorced. She stole from him and all that. And apparently she's doing well again. And what the fuck do I know? Right. Maybe that works out. Maybe it doesn't. But if you're talking about in the grand scheme of like him practicing a first step and sharing that and me being honest, which I I was to the most compassionate way I could be, that does not sound like a good fucking idea. (laughs) Right. This didn't work once. Why? Why? Right. Uh, And so I don't know. I I can't say that we're always going to do great ideas or we're always going to follow the suggestions we get in that first step admittance of like, I don't know what the fuck I'm doing. But I do think it's important for me, at least the way I got to look at my first step, it's important for me to remember that I need other people's opinions. Right. Because it's real easy for me to just start thinking my ego will tell me I got the answers again. I got this figured out. I'm pretty damn smart. I'm smarter than most of these people I'm going to ask anyway. Why fucking bother? I'll just run on my thinking for a while. And I know from my experience that doesn't get me anywhere positive, right? I end up in shitty situations where I got to go back to the basics of like, oh, I'm powerless again. Like, I got to stop this. It's hurt, hurting me. It's hurting people around me. Now what? Yeah. And that's one of the aspects of the steps that is easy to forget sometimes is that they really only apply to us. I mean, we <laughs> wish they could apply to everyone else. I wish I could give people a good first step sometimes. You know what I mean? Right. Like, don't you see the pattern of unmanageability here in your life? And, you, you know, don't yeah. you see how this is just your addiction? But that again, that's where the self-honesty becomes such a crucial role. I mean, the steps, like my step work only works for me and my life and my level of surrender to my disease and my level of acceptance and humility and all that stuff is only really relevant for me as much as I want to give it to other people. Right. Um, that's why it's, you know, crucial that I 
keep myself in position to understand what I need. And um, I've struggled with that over the years because I always think I have great advice for other people. (laughs) I think it is good advice, you know, it's well-researched or whatever. But the point is I'm learning later in my life that I'm trying to give it less unless people are asking for it because doesn't really help if they're not even listening you know right it just doesn't seem to help and that sometimes as a friend or as a supporter in recovery you know maybe asking a couple key questions like hey man have you really have you talked to your sponsor about that (laughs) or just kind of throwing some of those general things out there and and letting them make their own decisions and suffer the consequences of their own choices right Um, because that's Unfortunately, the only way that I learn sometimes is by making the same mistakes over and over again until I'm humbled enough to come in and admit my powerlessness over this situation and humble enough to come in and say, man, I keep doing this same fucking behavior and I don't know why and I can't figure it out. What do I need to do? But it's only when I've found that point of surrender with that particular issue again. Right, right. And they talk about that when the pain gets great enough or, you know, when the when the fear of change is less than the pain of staying the same, right? Those kind of concepts of coming to that surrender and acceptance. And I remember hearing like acceptance is giving up hope for a better past. And I always like that concept. Like really when I'm holding on to thinking that the past is going to change or, or that I'm going to invent a time machine and go back and somehow fix it, right? Like acceptance is just letting go that it is what it is. And now I got to move forward from here with it. Um, How that looks for me today for acceptance is like in some of the most minor ways, just with what I've been going through lately. Like I was kind of sick over the last couple of weeks and that was happened to be my my kids break off of school for the holidays and my wife was home a little extra and it was my fucking holidays and (laughs) I was sick for it. And I'm a little I was a little bitter about it. Right. I was getting frustrated and, and more frustrated that I just didn't seem to be getting any better, right? I had gone to the doctors at five days in and they said, we don't see anything, you know, hang out for another week and see what happens. And then on like day 10, I felt worse than I had felt the entire time. And I go back to the doctors and I get antibiotics. And then three days into that, I'm still not really feeling better. And I'm like, what in the fuck, man? I just, this is dumb. It's ruining my life, right? It's just like zapping my will to live, honestly. I'm tired of being sick. I'm starting to get pity party about how it's ruining my fucking holidays and this, that, and the other. And like, I had to just accept it. I don't feel well and there's not shit I can do about it, right? right. I will feel better one day, honestly, and not in any great look i'll either feel better or i'll be fucking dead and i'll feel better right (laughs) Right. and i hate to look at it like that but that was what i had to do it was i'm tired of laying around resting i haven't been to the gym in two weeks i haven't done anything like i want to spend some time this last week with my family so we did we went out to the mall and did i feel great no but it was a decision that i accept where i'm at but i gotta fucking live whether i feel better or not right? right i just need to be part of life again And so I started making phone calls and getting out of the house and I've felt better since I did it. And that's just the the small kinds of acceptance I need in my life today. Just the honesty of like, I don't have to like it, but this is what my reality right now. Now what? Now what can I do with that information? Right. I can just keep moving on. And the truth was, am I, am I better? Yeah, somewhat. I'm still a little sick. Right. But 
I felt fucking better moving and doing things than I did laying around bitching about how sick I was. Right. And so I guess that's where like my first step is a lot today is just accepting that my fucking body and brain don't always work the way I want them to. I turned on some music uh, from like a different part of my life yesterday, not even thinking about it. Just, I was like, Oh, I'll sit here. I'll listen to some music. And I started having those weird thoughts about like, Oh man, I miss my teenage years and I wish I could go back there. And this, <laughs> and I'm like caught up in it. Like it was hurting yeah. my feelings that I would never have that again. And I'm like, what the fuck? I just, I hate that kind of shit, but it, that's part. And that's the acceptance I need. Like the honesty of like, okay, that part of my life existed. It was interesting now i'm in this part of my life and and making this part interesting and let's move forward yeah and you know that hope that life can always be interesting and fun and unique you know it's just going to change like it's always going to change things are always going to change you know it's one of the parts of uh recovery that i've loved and i've said this before like if i look five years back on my life it was different than it was five years before that and five years before that um, and part of that acceptance of just allowing life to be what it is, <laughs> is difficult sometimes. Um, we talk about that, you know, when we're talking about powerlessness, a lot of times you'll hear people say, oh, I'm powerless over people, places, and things when they're talking about a first step. And that bugs me a little bit because I don't think that's the power in our fellowship. That's not the powerlessness that is most important. It's not necessarily an incorrect statement. Right. But when I'm talking about a first step in our particular fellowship, I'm very specifically talking about being powerless over a very specific thing, my addiction. You know, now we can debate on what that addiction means. Right. But in that conversation of a first step i don't give a fuck about other people places and things i mean unless the thing is addiction then i care but you know yeah sure i'm powerless over people places and things that's great but what i did find interesting not to get too sidetracked by this was that in some of those other fellowships though they are very much powerless over people places and things and that's very much a part of what they do if you're talking about al-anon or naranon or you know where you're some of these emotional fellowships maybe the Wonder Sex if, and Love Anonymous. Like right. you, that, I wonder if Coda would fall in that too. Yeah, the powerlessness. Of, yeah, the adult children, alcoholics, maybe. Like I those places, the, the powerlessness over other people becomes very relevant. Um, but to tie that back in with what you were talking about, it's like, I am, I just, I don't have to. I choose to accept my powerlessness over life and the world and the universe. And it's just going to go and do what it is. I have some power in that, you know, I can influence people. I have some, some sway in certain things and I can use whatever positive influences or guilt manipulation (laughs) to get people to do what I want. You know, like I'm not totally powerless over i used to think i had some influence and then i look at my family and i'm like i have fucking nothing i can't influence anybody caught on to all your shit (laughs) um but you know it's like i'm just another person here living a life trying to do the best that i can with what i have and you know sort of accepting that and understanding that um i don't always get what i want you know i don't it's like that little kid thing, you know, well, I want this right now. I want to feel good right now all the time. I want to get, you know, this new car or that new house or this fucking more money. So 
<laughs> you know what I right. mean? So what? That's what you want. That's great. You can either work to go get it or you can sit around and be unhappy about it. You know, that's your choices. Um, yeah. And accepting, you know, as we talk about with a serenity prayer, the things that I do have some power over and, and the things that I don't have power over. And uh, I don't know that you have power over being sick. I don't think that's a choice you get to make. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. And so that was one of the things I had talked about, like, uh, or, or not that I had talked about, but I was reading about looking into this first step was just like the idea that, you know, it's not because I'm not trying hard enough that I got a flu. Right. right? <laughs> like, And that's the same with, with how they needed to look at addiction, at least at some point in time, was it's, it's not that we weren't trying hard enough and that's why we, we were failing. Right. It wasn't a lack of trying. It was a it wasn't a moral deficiency. It was just something that was out of our control, similar to having the flu, right? Nothing we did could have kept us from getting it. Same with my cold, like nothing I did. I don't know. Maybe there was something. Maybe I could have washed my hands more. I don't fucking know. Right. Maybe I could have quarantined myself away from my sick children. I I have no idea. I just, uh, I do know. So where I'm really at this moment in time in my life is I'm trying to accept myself on a deeper level. Right. Mm -hmm. So I feel like I'm always trying to do that. But right now, it's a particular emphasis of mine. I'm noticing that there's still parts of me that I don't like. And I try to avoid acting on things because I'm scared of how people will look at it. Right. Mm-hmm. Um and, and that's where I'm struggling. I'm trying to really just accept me on a deeper level. And from there, from that place of accepting who I am today, I can either get more comfortable with me and be there, or I have the ability to change it from there, right? But first, I need to really accept it. And so things like uh, this this soccer league in, in our area that my kids just started their first game last night, it's an indoor soccer league. And And I was not happy with the way, you know, some of the decisions were made around how the league was run. And normally I would never be the guy to like voice that on Facebook or in any kind of open environment because people will look at me in a certain light. Oh, it's the guy who's complaining, whatever. And last night I fucking put it on there. I was like, fuck it. I'm going on their Facebook page and I'm telling them about themselves. This is bullshit to me. Right. And I'm just trying to get to that point where I'm like, you know what? This is just where I'm at. Maybe it's not perfect. Maybe it's not where I want to be ultimately, but like this is who I am. And I just want to be here and be okay with it for now. Right. I don't, I only get so many days. One of these days it'll get better or it won't, but I want to be okay with it now. I want more acceptance of me and what makes me happy, even if it doesn't please everybody else. Right. I need to fuck everybody else. I just need to be me. And that's okay if it doesn't make everybody happy all the time. Yeah. And that's really crucial, I think, for me in my 12 step journey is just that finding out who I am and what is important to me and what my values are and and what, you know, what things I want out of life. And those are different. There's not a set cookie cutter thing. You know, I can say financially, I am not a good financial money manager. I'm just not. I tend to be impulsive with money. I tend to be like, well, it comes, it goes, whatever, you know, and I used to struggle about that or not. Now I don't care. It's, it is, you know, whatever it is, what it is. And I just accept that about myself. And there are some things I could do about it. I know what I could or should do about it. I've read enough things. I mean, I'm not in debt like right. that, but there's just certain 
You know, I can look at other things and be like, oh, I wish I had put this money away and I should be investing in rental properties and I should be investing in this and that and we should be doing this. And what am I going to do when I get older? I don't want to work when I'm seven. You know, all those things that I start stressing about. And the truth is, you know, I intellectually know what things I could or should be doing. I'm not willing to do the work to get it. And I don't want to give up what I have now to get there. Mm, right. <laughs> so right. I can sit around and be unhappy about it and beat myself up about it and feel embarrassed, guilty, ashamed about it. Or I can just go, eh, fuck it. That's just who I am. And I'm okay with that person and those decisions that I make. Um, so this is a little uh, less, whatever, intense maybe than some of the things that you're talking about, but a funny sort of minor application of a first step in my life recently. I just had this recently. So I know that for myself, I have been getting up. I get up pretty early. I get up at five o'clock every morning, um, which for me is pretty early. Um, And I know that I can't drink caffeine late at night because it doesn't mess up me going. Like I can go to sleep, but I don't feel like I sleep well. And I'll wake up a couple times during the night. And I don't get a good sleep when I drink caffeine. But it is so programmed into my fucking head when I go to a meeting that I have a cup of coffee. Like it is just, (laughs) you know, quote unquote, what I do. You know what I mean? I go to the meeting. I go get a cup of coffee. I sit down at the meeting. And my home group is at eight o'clock. So it's an eight to nine o'clock meeting. So I'm drinking coffee from eight to nine o'clock. Then I go home and I try to go to sleep and I'm not going to sleep till 11 or 12. You know, and then my whole night is messed up. And I will go through that routine you know, and get to the meeting and be like, all right, tonight, I'm not going to have any coffee because I know it's going to keep me up. And fucking soon as I go and sit down in that chair, I start craving a cup of coffee. Like it's, and it's just that obsession. Like it's, it's an like, man, it's, you know, a cup of coffee. Fuck it. Hey, fuck, <laughs> fuck it, it man. That's just right. get it and have your, it doesn't matter. You know, it's not a big deal. Just have your fucking <laughs> cup of coffee. Enjoy your life in this moment. Right. Fuck it. You know, and that whole and like this last week was like I sat there with nope, I'm not going to do I'm not going to give in because that, you know, moment of self-gratification is not worth the consequence. Mm. But fuck, I still struggle with it in such a stupid, mundane thing. And I've tried other things. I've tried making myself like a hot tea and taking hot tea with me to right. the matter. It's not the same. It's just not, you know. <laughs> And it's just funny of like making that admission. Like I can give in to this thing that is self-gratification that's going to cost me later, or I can choose not to. Right, right. Now, that's funny. One of the things you had mentioned a couple minutes ago about your 12-step journey kind of reminded me of just the whole purpose of, of one of the things that I heard about the point of the 12 steps was just figuring out who I am and then doing it on purpose. Right. And I always love that concept of like trying to be who I am on purpose. And, you know, I think that applies for what you're talking about right now in either direction. Honestly, if you want to be the guy that has the coffee and is tired on Fridays after your home group, then fuck it, be that guy on purpose. Right. And if, and if not, you want to be the guy who like has a, glass of just purely hot water and carrots on Thursday (laughs) night and feels healthier Friday like fuck it be that guy on purpose like I really think it's all about just being okay ultimately with who we are and that is the ultimate process of the 12 steps like you were mentioning just figuring out what it is that matters to us and then living by that and that's where I struggled before I got here it wasn't I was trying to live by what everybody else wanted and it's still hard here 
in a recovery position to remember that like even in littler ways about coffee on Thursday nights or, or, you know, complaining about um, publicly about something that we don't agree with or or voicing an opinion, like people aren't going to fucking like it, but I just need to be okay with me. And it's, if I can just do that, man, I can feel so much better about myself. Yeah. And that's what, you know, it's like you said with the coffee thing, like, I don't mean that to say there's a right or wrong answer. You know what I mean? There isn't a right, right. you know, there isn't a right or wrong answer. It's who, who do I want to be today or what, what, and I might decide two weeks from now, fuck it. I'm going to drink coffee at the meeting. I don't care. I like it. And that's just what I'm going to do. Or maybe find some, you know, decision in the middle, but just like you're voicing your comments and, and expressing your opinion, like sometimes trying different things to see what, we like and what feels good and Mm. what we feel okay with, you know, in our own hearts. Like say for me, it comes back to a lot of times, like I got to lay down with myself in that pillow at night and I choose to run through my day and look at what things are cropping up, what things are bothering me and what things aren't, you know, and like in your situation, if I found that sitting on that decision and saying nothing was bothering me, then I would say something. Right. And, And realizing that for all of us, it's not about right or wrong. Like I always want to be the rightest, you know, I always want to make the best decision in situations. And it's not always about being the rightest. It's not always about making the smartest decision. It's about, you know, what learning, what fills my spirit the most, you know, or, or or Mm. makes my spirit feel the most okay with itself. Right. You know, and in my life now, I like to think I'm pretty comfortable with the person that I am and the life that I'm living and, and what's going on in my life. I tend to be pretty open and, and I can tell, I'll say I can tell because I'm pretty open about what I'm doing or what's going on in my life with anybody who fucking wants to talk about it for 10 minutes. I don't try to, I don't feel like there's any parts of me that I'm embarrassed or ashamed of that I don't talk to people that I'm close with about. Right. Um, and to me, that's a good in- indicator that I'm that I'm living my best self is that I don't have secrets or things I'm embarrassed or ashamed about that I'm hiding from other people. That's a pretty good indication. I'm going to evaluate my life before we come back next week. Uh, is there anything else you had to say about step one? No, it's the beginning of a new way of life. <laughs> that's right. What, what do we say at the beginning? I can't. That's what yeah. step one is. I can't. I can't. Keep that's it simple. It. All right, uh, everybody, enjoy your week, and we'll see you again next week. That wraps up this episode. Please subscribe, rate, and review this podcast on your preferred platform. If you have ideas for topics you'd like us to talk about or just want to add an opinion, contact us through Anchor, email us at recoverysortof at gmail.com, or find us on Twitter at recoverysortof.